Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to introduce you to Alicia Joyce, who is new Realty Central Texas mm -hmm. and the incoming executive director of CareNet. Yes, ma'am. What tall stilettos you have to fill with oh. Deborah McGregor Caperton. I know. Retiring. Mm -hmm. She and I go back a long way, and uh, and we're just so happy to let this be your introduction Thank officially. You. <laughs> no kidding. This is really the official kind of coming out in Waco all around. We got here in August, so we're fairly fairly fresh if you think about from, it. From we moved from Oregon, mm. and I like to tell people after I say that, but we are refugees to Texas. <laughs> we I've found our people that. in Texas, so I've heard that before. Yes. <laughs> well, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Um, you you just have such an interesting story to tell. Um, I'd like to get started, though. But I want to focus first on CareNet, and then we'll talk about Food Fighters on NBC, which is a whole other, <laughs> another life, a whole other wonderful, uh, wonderful thing with Alicia. But I have heard, and I want you to tell the story, uh, why your passion is in saving the lives of unborn. You know, it's interesting because. Um, I had a friend, the way that I found CareNet, I, let me backtrack just a little bit, because I, when we moved to Texas uh, and landed in Waco, I hadn't even heard of CareNet yet. Mm -hmm. And we had a friend over, and we were having this great conversation. Her husband was washing dishes, and she was standing across the counter, and um, she's like, tell me about you. And I said, oh, you know, I went to law school, and I've been doing this creative work, and I've run a business the last few years. And then we came to Waco, and she was like well, what do you think of abortion? Like just flat out. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. <laughs> and I kind of chuckled and I said, Kathy, I'm from Oregon. I said, we don't even like speak words like that. Like it was, you know, where I come from, like it's always been very, it's a, it's a, such a hot topic. People usually don't talk about it. Right, just steer But clear. I said, now I get to tell you my story. And so that's how it opened up conversation. And I got to tell her that um, my mom was almost six months pregnant and was in a relationship with my dad. Uh, she had come out of a very sheltered family and my dad was in bodybuilding and entertainment. And so he had the big Afro and he had the purple boots and he was just this big bodybuilder man and she was head over heels. Um, but he didn't want to have a baby. And so she had waited and waited. And by five and a half months, she was like, I don't think I can do this because he's not sticking to me. And this isn't a relationship he obviously wants to be in. So she went to Planned Parenthood. And back in the day, there was, I guess, a 12-hour waiting period. So they took her in the night before. And long story short, um, on the other side of town, while my mom's laying in Planned Parenthood, because my dad had dropped her off even, was like, I'll pick you so up in the So he knew she he was knew. planning yep. to abort yep. you. Yep, he knew. And he dropped her off and was going to go out partying with a buddy and pick her up in the morning. And so on the other side of town, my dad's driving away and his buddy's like, where's Kathy at tonight? And he says, oh, I dropped her off at Planned Parenthood. She's getting an abortion, just like that. 
and his friend, how we know, I've, I've, to this day, I wish I could find Mike because his name was Mike. And he said to my dad, do you know what they do? And they started to talk to men on their way to the bar going out to party, start talking about what it looks like. And my dad's testimony now, because now he's 78 and he has this tremendous testimony of coming to find the Lord. But he will say that in that moment, it was the first time he ever felt God audibly speak and say, who are you to take this life? And they turned the car around and they went back to Planned Parenthood and knocked on the door. And the nurse is like, yes. And the, um, my dad says, I'm here to get Kathy. I don't want her to do this. And so they let him in and he found my mom and my mom starts bawling her eyes out because she had been praying. She had known the Lord. She had been saved by Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm -hmm. And so she had been laying in that bed and she's like, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but if you want to save this life, you can do it. Sorry, it makes me emotional. It's making me emotional. So my dad came in and Mike was there. These two burly guys walk in and my mom's on the table and he's like, my dad's like, can we do this? Can we, let's have this baby. And so the nurse came in and they could hear my heartbeat. So my whole life, like, even though there's no fairy tale ending, like there was a lot of trauma in my life. My dad was actually very abusive and I grew up, we were poor, like you name it, it's probably touched my life. But even through all of that, it was like God just stood in the gap. Because my parents, both of them individually, never let me forget, like, you were saved. Like, something in your life, you were saved. God saved you. And so even though I'm the first one, like, no one was educated in my family. No one ever went to college. So my whole life, there was just this hand where my dad would say, you need better. You need to choose better. You need to go to this school. And so all of a sudden, I'm sitting here, and I'm telling my friend Kathy this story. And she's like, well, you need to know CareNet because they're looking for an executive director. And I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I'm not looking for a job. Like, I have an agency. I'm doing my right. thing. You have an amazing career. But I had, you know, and I came here to continue. But mm-hmm. as the conversation was shared, Kathy shared it with a friend and a friend shared it with a friend. And then, you know, Glenda and yeah. the conversation started happening. And as I prayerfully just kind of looked at what was going on and what CareNet was about and the fact that um, I met with some board members and they were like, here's what we're doing and here's who we are. My dad really was speaking life into that. And he was like, you know how you've been praying for purpose? He's like, this is it. He says, all your years, think about everything you've ever done. He says, could it be that you're in Waco for this job? (laughs) And so my life personally touches saving unborn lives because I am one of those lives, right? Like I am a life that was saved. And so I see the importance, not just of saving the life though, but also of nurturing the lives once they're born, like, because I am one of the lives that was nurtured by God standing in the gap and providing people all along the way that really helped. And so the more I learned about CareNet, I'm like, okay, Lord, if this is what I'm meant to do, I'm all in because it's just, it's precious. What we do is so precious because it's not just about saving the life. It's really a pro abundant life ministry to see women, not just birth their babies, but then support them through that. Right. Because as you say, it's, there's, there's more, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's preparing that young lady for, you know, what's, what's ahead with, with having a baby, but what a gripping story, what Mm -hmm. an impactful story. And, you know, we all know that every day is a gift, Yes, but (laughs) your life is a gift. And um, I just, I thank you so much for, for sharing that. And you know, really, the work that CareNet has done, you know, I, I guess you, you can't even put a put a pencil or come to a number of how mm-hmm. many lives have been saved. 
I know. And it's pretty amazing because even in post-row world, like as I've settled in um, and just kind of learned and watched the clients that are coming through, you know, we are still facing issues because chemical abortion is very real and it's very traumatic. And so we're starting, you know, post-abortive care is going to become a much bigger issue. Mm -hmm. And babies are coming. Like the babies are coming. Like before the decision um, that came down from the Supreme Court, you know, it was really a battle of how do we help women understand and ideally choose, make a life-affirming choice. Now in this world in Texas, it's how when the babies are coming, what are we doing? So you still have the fight. But then now you have the support that's even going to be of utmost importance. Yeah, yeah. The the pro-choice crowd, you know, it is the easy answer. Take care of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so having that support, and I, I think a lot of people may not understand that that's such a big part of what CareNet yes. does. And, uh, and you mentioned post-abortive care, mm-hmm. the emotional toll yeah. that takes place with a woman who's chosen abortion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also just kind of thinking about, you know, how we offer that compassionate place for people Mm -hmm. to land. And, you know, we really are of the position that we are there to empower women. Like that's the thing is if you go another direction or um, the narrative is, you know, it's healthcare and we are the ones that are empowering women. And it's like, but but you're making it sound like because a woman can't do it or doesn't have resources. Oh, see, this is the easy way. And what we want to share is that, hold on a second, you are supported. There are resources. We can connect you. You can be loved. It doesn't matter what you come from. We are here to support you. There are community organizations that we partner with. There's our own staff that helps really come alongside and love. We offer practical help, you know, with formula and diapers and clothing. And yeah, yeah, just needs that just you needs. have when and a I baby think, shows up. Yeah, and, and the, the, the statistics will show that when a woman realizes that she's not alone and she can find that support, mm-hmm. they're more likely to make the life-affirming choice because they realize, well, I would really like to take that. I really mm-hmm. want to be empowered to do that. And I find that just so beautiful that I get to, I mean, I'm really humbled that I get to come here and be a part of that. Um, and it's exciting. It's great. Well, and also when they can uh, um, see that ultrasound. Yes. That's a pretty big component mm-hmm. in in making that decision mm-hmm. too. Yeah, or just a heartbeat that you can hear the heartbeat. Just to hear the heartbeat. Yes, seven or eight weeks, like right at the beginning that you could even just hear a heartbeat. And that's such a precious thing because, again, I think of my mom and I've asked her, I'm like, you went there and you were, obviously you could feel me and you knew I was, there was something, right? You, you Even no matter what you call you, she didn't know, but they never gave her a heartbeat. They never, and I don't even know if ultrasound was around in 1973, but the fact that once she heard the heartbeat, it became so real, oh, like yeah. so connected yeah. instantly. And I you hear that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I think of my mom, you know, when I think of these yeah. um, clients that may come through our door and just that concern. And it's beautiful. We can offer them those resources. Did you have to kind of go through uh, some forgiveness? With for her, her? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I feel like... Because I mean, obviously she didn't really want this. But she didn't really want yeah, it. And my yeah. parents, they, they ended up... Um, my parents divorced when I was 20 mm-hmm. and they're both still in my life. My mom actually lives here in Waco oh, and good. then my dad, you know, we have a really great relationship. I don't know. I think as a child, there was so much other trauma going on in my life. Like I was just in constant forgiveness mode because it's one of those things that if I, I learned very early, for example, with my parents, like my dad was a fabulous dad. 
but he was a terrible man. You mm-hmm. know, he was a terrible husband. He was a cheater. There was a lot of abuse, but he was a good dad to me. He'd show yeah. up at school. He'd pick me up. He'd bring me my favorite soda. You know, we'd <laughs> go to lunch. And so I just learned early people were, were broken. And I, I wouldn't have mm-hmm. articulated that as a child, but I learned just we're broken and it's a constant daily forgiveness to look at people and to try and find the good. Um, so I feel like the gift of my broken life is being able to walk through life that way mm. is there's just constant forgiveness. And that's, that's what the Lord would call us to as well. Yeah. Just, well, you're obviously a very strong believer. Yes. Um, tell me about your faith walk. Oh, my faith walk. So growing up the way that I did raised Catholic and, but it was funny because sometimes we were Catholic, sometimes we were seven day Adventist. Sometimes it did just depend on just who depends. would show up at the door, <laughs> right. To like yeah. take us to church. But my parents, um, I didn't want, I knew of Jesus, but I didn't want Jesus. They're Jesus. I was like, whatever this looks like, like, that's not what I need in my life. And I spent a lot of my life just, I wouldn't say rebellious. And it's funny because I do feel the Lord had his hand on my life because he preserved me from a lot of negative things I probably would have gone into. There Mm -hmm. was something holding back a lot of dark in my life. Um, but I came to know him at 27 for myself, like Mm -hmm. in a real personal way. I had just had my first daughter. Uh, she was about maybe about a year old and, um, I had just graduated from law school. We had this baby where my husband and I both highly educated and we had moved to San Diego and we're like, we're going to move down there and get jobs. And yeah, Lovely part of the country. Three months go Mm -hmm. by, no jobs are happening. And it's like, because it's all about us, right? It's like, look how amazing I am. We're going (laughs) to find jobs. The Lord used that to really, my dad at that point had also been walking about eight years with the Lord, truly. So I watched a transformation through his life. Yeah, because you knew the before. I knew the before. Yeah. And so when he started to speak into my life and say, you know, I'm just praying for you. You got to find a church. You really got to dig in. I remember it was the first time my husband and I had ever gotten on our knees together. And I'm like, Lord, I don't even know. Sorry. I don't even know who you are really, but I know that you're real. Like, I just need to see you for real. And I was reading the Bible and my dad was sharing verses and I don't even know how I came on it. But I always tell people, Isaiah 58 saved me. And people are like, Isaiah 58, what an obscure. I'm I'm thinking, what is Isaiah 58? (laughs) Isaiah 58 is all about the fast that I have called you to. Mm-hmm. And in that portion of scripture, it just starts talking about how, um, you know, the Lord, when, when we can do all these things, we can say big things and we can pretend we see him and we can rent our clothes and we can do all the things to make a show. Mm-hmm. But he's like, that's not what I've called you to. I've called you to compassion and I've called you to kindness and I've called you to help those that are in need and the broken. And he said, then your light will shine forth. Then you will be the rebuilder of the broken roads. Yeah. And when I saw rebuilder of broken roads, like I had come from such brokenness. I'm like, Lord, I want that. I want to be a rebuilder of broken roads. I know it's ultimately Jesus that rebuilds, but you sure. know, it spoke into just me as a human being. And that's where my walk started. I'm, wanna, I'm like, I want to know who this God is, the one that tells me that all things are possible. And it's again, and now it goes to CareNet, right? Like the heart that saved me That is what we're trying to say to these young women and men that come through the door. Like you have power to make a choice. Like, because when you do, you too can be a rebuilder of broken roads. Like that's the God that we serve. Mm. So 27, I've been walking since I was 27 and it's, it's, 
been a phenomenal walk. Like I see the Lord all over, like just his hand all over my life and in my children and in my marriage. And, you know, and he carries us through. Life mm-hmm. is not easy just because you're a believer. Life is not easy. Yeah. And I feel like more and more it's like where evil abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that's the testimony of mm-hmm. my life. Amen. Amen. Preach on. Hey, <laughs> Preach girl. on. Yeah. I mean, do you had a big transition though, moving from Portland yes. to Central Texas? Oh my gosh. Bit of a culture shock. Yes. <laughs> but tell me about your family. I understand your daughters are at Baylor. Is that right? I have two girls at Baylor. So I have a senior and she's in the marketing department uh-huh. and she met her man also in the marketing department All her right. freshman year. So yeah. they're getting married in August. And then I have a sophomore, McKenna, and she is, uh, an, uh, she's journalism with an advertising focus. Good. Yep. And then we also have a son who's 15 and he plays uh baseball with midway so Mm -hmm. we were like boy if you want to play baseball we better know if you can play in texas and so we came down (laughs) and so he plays so yes so we have three kids and they're so close like the sisters will pop in the car and be like seb we're coming over we're gonna go get a drink and so they'll come pick him up and they'll come over and do homework or ask for a salad and so when we moved here it wasn't just to be near the girls it really truly we needed to get out of oregon like whatever people hear in the media like times at times 10 like it's it was really sad and and hard to be there you know it's it's hard for me to see that because it is such a beautiful part of the country and we had been there 20 years like we were there we moved there and it was like this beautiful secret pocket of the northwest and um we just watched the slow demise and as we've been here we're really engaged with the chamber for example my husband loves to go to the chamber meetings and he's like i'm feel i feel like i'm here to be a voice like for some of the things that are being proposed or because we watched it we watched you know, just things start to change the communities and, and just policies. And it can happen anywhere. It can happen anywhere. And it's a slow drip. Right. It's a very slow drip that gets you to a point of no return. And so <sighs> when it was time to leave, but again, I feel like I look at that and I'm like, Lord, thank you. Like the way you orchestrated life to get us to a point to say, this is the moment it's time to leave, you know, mm-hmm. with my son at his age and my girls where they are. And it was all, it's all for the good. Everything always works yeah. for the good. Yeah, and it was just your steps time. are ordered. Yes. You know, and it was yeah, just time to yeah. go. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to hear about NBC's Food (laughs) Fighters. You got it. That is just going to be so much fun. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. Oh, yeah. Loud. I'm back, baby. (laughs) Woo! Hi, I'm Trey Cooper. I'm Solomon Cooper. And we're the hosts of the Kid Stays in the Podcast. It's a cross-generational discussion about movies. Uh, two perspectives. I'm the young one. He's the old one. And we have I don't some th- fun arguments. I don't think we need to say it that way. You're old. Anyway, whenever you tune in to listen to the Kid Stays in the Podcast, you can expect to hear a very, very intelligent discussion of a film from me and a really uh, imbecilic perspective from Solomon who hates anything that wasn't made after 2007. They're very rude to me. We tried to watch a movie from 1985 once and he really hated it. (laughs) Tune into our show. Hear me roast Solomon week after week. Find us anywhere you get your podcast or on RogueManianetwork.com. This is Sarah. And I'm Carter. And this is Some of Our Thoughts. We're two Southern sommeliers, and we want to share everything we love and know about wine. 
We started hanging out during quarantine and cooking and drinking and listening to music. And we just thought this would be a great way to bring everything we know to you guys. We will make wine knowledge and food pairings easy and approachable. So put on your favorite vinyl, grab your favorite glass of wine, tune into our show, and let's have some fun. Wine Wine and vinyl. vinyl. So check us out on roguemedianetwork.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. We'll be talking about a lot. <laughs> hey y'all, I'm April. Hi, I'm Caroline. And we have a new podcast for you. What's it called, Caroline? Uh, Bloody Happy Hour. It's going to be your new favorite guilty pleasure. We're going to talk about some bloody stuff. Serial killers. True crime. Rape. Rapists. <laughs> Why not join us? We'll have a good time. You literally never know. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Bloody Happy Hour. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm back with Alicia Joyce, who is the incoming, brand new on the job, really, executive director of CareNet in Waco, um, told her very gripping story about how her life is a gift. But you grew up in Guam. Let's talk about your, you know, further back childhood and um, how you ended up on NBC's Food Fighters (laughs) in 2014. You won it. You beat four Four out of five. Four out of five chefs. chefs. Yes, yes. Okay, so Guam first. So a lot of people will go, "Oh, was your dad in the military?" And I say, "Yes, he was. He was in, he was army, mm-hmm. but he left Guam to join the military. He was seventeen, grew up very poor, didn't speak much English, and the military was his way out. So he did. I think he did like six tours in Nam, and then after he finished in the military, he had landed in Oakland, California." And he had had some injuries in the military and he got into bodybuilding. And so that's where his bodybuilding career began. So we spent, I was born in California, San Leandro, and we spent the first six years in the Bay Area where he owned his gym. And then because of just things he was involved in and really not it was just not good. It was not a good environment. And he knew that if he was going to save anything in his life, that it had to be like we had to uproot and run. So we Mm. went back to Guam where he was from. And I lived in literally a little tin shack. It was probably about, I don't know, 600 square feet, two bedrooms. We had no bathroom sink. We didn't have enough room for a kitchen table. My parents' bed was in the front room. We had uh, no running hot water. And it was literally in the boonies. And so I grew up and we had that house probably till I was 13. Really? Yep. Your yep. formative years. Yeah, very yeah. formative years. So I grew up like chasing baby chickens and <laughs> waking up to the roosters crowing. And because we, my mom did not cook, my grandma lived right next door. That was mm-hmm. also the beauty, I think, of growing up in the islands is my grandma really was like my rock, my dad's mom. And she lived right next door. And in Guam, you don't really cook in the house. Maybe now you do because it's modern. But back in the day, everybody had outdoor kitchens. And so we'd go from our house, our little tin shack to her little tin shack off the back of her kitchen and we used to eat on a, like an old military desk and she had a rock under one leg and that's where she'd feed us and you could only eat one at a time so it'd be grandma and a person that she was feeding 
and she would cook on her open fire stove. And so I am so grateful to be able to tell that story because yeah. I look at my kids. I'm like, gosh, I wish you could have grown up the way that I did. Like, you have no in idea. A, yeah, in a tin shack with chickens. <laughs> like um, my first pet was a rooster that slept under the porch with our dogs. Like, you know, like real true island life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I spent all my formative years in Guam, left at 18. Ended up going to Gonzaga University, which is where I met my husband. We were studying abroad in Italy. Mm -hmm. He had come from northern Arizona, and I was already at Gonzaga. And uh, so we met studying abroad. And um, NBC Food Fighters, at that time in our life, so that would have been 2014. Mm -hmm. So I graduated from law school, ended up having babies. And so even, even with that law degree, I always dreamed of being a litigator or an appellate attorney. That's really what I wanted to do. Yeah. But since I was home and we were having kids, that was always a commitment. And so I always just tried to hustle from home. I flipped houses. I subdivided land. I was a realtor for a while. And then because I was making baby food at home, I taught myself to cook as a married woman since I never had that growing up. And I started making- Yeah, your, grand, your grandmother was doing she the cooking. Was, did you all the never, cooking. Yeah. I never knew anything about the kitchen. Really? So really it was like learning one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. But I was making baby food, so I had taken a food product to market, and it was during that period of life, a girlfriend and I wanted to be on The Amazing Race. So I was at home one day, and I'm like, Amazing Race, and they weren't casting, and somehow I popped around, and NBC was like, are you a home cook that thinks you can beat professional chefs? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm so naive. Like, why in the million years... I really? Was, yes. I was like, I wasn't. You I just was, taught yourself how to cook. Taught myself how to cook. I'm like, yes, ask me. And I sent in <laughs> a picture and a little bio. And at that time, because I had the food product, I was doing live TV in Portland. Yeah, it was like bite size. They were, it was called Smarty Bars. They little were little protein. Little protein bites. bites. It was That's whole cool. food yeah. energy snack. And um, very, very I was clever. Doing, thank you. And I was doing uh, live TV spots teaching people how to cook on TV. So I had all this great stuff I could tell NBC. I'm like, I do live television. I'm the quinoa queen. I have this food product. Here are some, some snapshots. And within like 30 minutes, I got a call from LA. I thought, what is this? And they were like, we want to, we want to talk to you. And it was about a six month process of casting. Mm -hmm. um, but what you see when you watch food fighters, it is real. Like that competition was real. They would set the clock and I'd have to cook a dish and it's all in real time. And so I look back on that now. I'm like, how did I do that with the adrenaline? I, not, I, I was a nervous wreck just watching oh, that clip. In fact, the first one I saw was really your last competition, I think, was with the uh, Lorena the, Garcia. The, and she was and you were doing something with a pressure cooker. He goes, You use a pressure cooker. Oh. You go, you go, you go, girl, or something she like that. Was she was toughy, but she was tough. She, and it's Oh funny man, she had a good looking dish. She, she ended did, up with she did. And what I learned after the fact is they really were giving so there was this dinner party. No one knew who the dinner party was or where the food uh, was going to. Right, or who the people were. Or who the were. people were, but they were giving them very specific instructions. So it had to be keen my my the dish I beat her with was quinoa and salmon. And mm -hmm. so mine was literally quinoa and salmon where she had mixed her salmon in and, and so it got a little brown yes but it actually was delicious they I was gonna say i'm that. sure it, it was like blackened salmon it was yeah uh, it was that's it was, a thing yes it was delicious yeah but, but they were like oh it's, you, you've gotten it too dark you that's know? all for television there, there's oh. some of that in the edits you know okay uh, adam richmond did a great job yeah he did he they did. do they draw on the drama oh yeah, and, yeah you yeah. know but i remember plating and i almost missed a plate i mean there's real oh, things God. that go on <laughs> and um you were slinging by the i was and the kids were tiny and it's so neat that I got to do that because I don't oh, yeah. know how what an life, experience I know and I don't know how I would do it again so it's fun that I have those little things that you know touched my life and were just 
I, I call those little treats from the Lord. Like mm-hmm. he just gives us little things he knows that we'll enjoy like a good daddy. Well, good you father. were you were so brave to do yeah. that. I mean, I'm watching this and I'm thinking I cannot imagine the, the stress that was. But you did great. You won Thank a you. nice Nice purse, for yes, sure. Yes, and the way yeah. it worked is each dish had an amount tied to it. Uh-huh. The first was 5000 I think it was 5 10 15 then it was 30 and then you could double whatever it was. Right. And I h- ended up losing the fourth round to, I forget what his name, Marcel, uh, he had been on MasterChef. He's yeah. still a big chef yeah, around yeah. town. And he was a, he was a sweetie. Like yeah, but they, these professional chefs you were competing with are very gracious. They yes. were, I mean, everybody, it just looked like a... a Fun experience. It was a very fun experience. Oh, my gosh. I know. Give me a tranquilizer after. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, that to me is is just a a wonderful aspect of your life. And then you've been a content producer, um, kind of a marketing guru in a way yourself. Yes. And and I think uh, what I want to touch on, too, is I think some people will look at me and say, well, what does all that have to do with being at CareNet? How does that even relate? And I would say that the, the path that the Lord really took me down professionally, like to credential me, like to give me my law degree. And then from there to be home with my kids and to be in women's ministry, because I was in women's ministry for years, really always seeking to use my education. And Mm -hmm. so I was a writer for years and I taught Bible studies and then I moved into food and I got into media. And then by the time I had launched uh, Relish Division, which is what I owned the last six years before we moved here, five or six years, my business partner, Bradley and I, we had met on a food shoot. I was a, oh, really? I was a spokesperson for Frigidaire for two campaigns. And so he and I met and I said, listen, I've got this background in law and education and storytelling. And he was the camp, like he was a filmmaker by trade. He had been at HBO for years. And so we paired up our, our expertise. And so we launched Relish Division. So for the last five years, I was business manager, CEO, I was executive producer, and we got to do some pretty tremendous things. Uh, KitchenAid was our primary client for the last four years. So anything released up until about, let's see, early, I think 2022 was our last campaign. Hmm. Um, But if they had special campaigns, we'd work with the global marketing department, and then we would basically create the visual experience of that launch. So photography, video, um, and then they'd release it out on social media, use it on the website. So it was really, really fun. But then again, I always tell people starting all the way back in law school, like learning how to be a good storyteller. That's really what law Mm -hmm. school taught me is how do you, how do you, um, how do you tell a good story with the facts in front of you? How do you really, you know, build in some emotion where you're not really supposed to be too emotional, right? Because you want right. to help people, like you want to win people over to your side. And right. then the practical experiences of contracts and just understanding, like, this is a new product. How are you supposed to talk about this? But then you add in my personal life. And then that's where the blending, I think, for this position at CareNet really comes in. Because in a post-row world, too, it's new story. It's a new, it's a new message we have to tell mm-hmm. to be very clear of where we're going. And I feel like that's why when the board looked at me and we talked about that past experience, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is how this could really help. Uh, you you are you're just perfect for oh. the job. <laughs> and I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you better. But Thank I you. like to end these little visits with um a little questionnaire similar to the one the late great James Lipton would do on Inside the Actor Studio. So here we go. What is your favorite word? Oh my gosh. My favorite word. My favorite word. Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
that's always the answer. That's my favorite word. And I don't mean that kitschy. I mean that truly. Like, it's always the answer. Yeah, yeah. What's your least favorite word? Fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Challenge. Mm -hmm. Like, really trying to see what... Okay, Lord, I'm looking with your eyes. This looks impossible, but nothing's impossible. So what am I supposed to see? So challenge does. Yeah. What turns you off creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? A line in the sand. Like if you say oh. this is it, like it's like, well, how can I think if that's the line in the sand? If that's just if it's just the box, like that feels stifling to me. Um, mm-hmm. So that would that would be the turnoff. Mm, interesting. Of my mind. What sound do you love the most? Laughter. <laughs> yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about your least favorite sound? Oh my gosh, my daughter is going to make me laugh. It become my least favorite sound when you're eating with a fork and it scratches oh. the bottom of the bowl. Oh, my oldest daughter, we laugh so hard because she's always like, ah, get rid of these bowls. But now it's like, that's my least favorite sound. <laughs> <laughs> right. What You've done a lot of interesting things. What other profession would you like to have tried? You know, it's funny. If this care net thing, if, if I would not have landed here, I think I was leaning towards possibly open, opening an artisan bakery. I love really? bread. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Waco might have had its first artisan bakery if I wouldn't have taken this job because yeah. I bake bread at home mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't been able to find good bread. And I and I love the table. That's why I think culinary, that culinary career or the culinary career I've had has been so exciting because Jesus brought people around the table mm-hmm. and I love food and food just makes people so happy. So that's probably the yeah. career I would have gone into is something something like that mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. what profession do you know you would not want to do though no thank you um oh my gosh it's funny because I would probably say I don't want to be a politician yeah <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm wondering if a little bit of this role is a little say, political and so oh no question it yes will be, yeah. but I so I don't know I mean I've kind of tried my hand at everything mm-hmm. and I just appreciate so much of every job that has to get done. I don't know if I've ever really thought like I would never do that in a million years. Good, good. Well, finally, what do you want to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well said. Alicia, it has just been a delight to get to know you. Thank you so much. And uh, all the best. Thank you. God's blessings on you as you uh, as you enter this new this new phase. Thank you. This new chapter of your life Mm -hmm. for both you and CareNet. And and of course, CareNet is just, you know, near and dear to my heart, the work they do. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you you. for the opportunity. I'm really, really grateful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on Central Texas Life. Bye-bye. Central Texas Life with Ann Harder is part of the Rogue Media family. Be sure to check out our other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate this show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Life with Ann Harder.